Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Bannering the Blue Shirts. I'm Tom Merch Jr. And as always, I'm joined by Mike Murphy. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing good with watching a little bit of uh, women's college hockey Frozen Four. It's a good, great game between UMD and Northeastern. And I think just like everyone else in the Rangers-verse, uh, I'm still wondering if last night was a crazy fever dream. Um, it's hard to put words into what the, that game was, or the Rangers and the Flyers game. If you're listening to this, you know what the outcome of that game was. But uh, it's crazy, Tom. It's It's been a crazy little bit of time here. It was a crazy... I was among the people who was like, you know, Quinn... Uh, you know, Martin, Brown, like Oliver, none of them are available. Uh, why is this game not being suspended? And then, of course, last night happens. So it's been a kind of crazy 24 hours for the Rangers. Yeah, it's been a crazy 24 hours for the Rangers, and uh, we didn't podcast last week. It's been, life has been crazy for Mike and I, so we apologize for that. But it's, uh, I would say that recently, it's just been very crazy hockey. Like our last show, we talked about, okay, Rangers uh, beat the Sabres. Um, and then they have two great games against the Devils. And they look lost versus Pittsburgh. Jekyll and Hyde affair uh, against the Boston Bruins. They get shut out for nothing. They come back, they win for nothing. Um, and then obviously, you know, the OT game against the Flyers, and then last night. And I think, for me, it, it was crazy because I left work yesterday, and I'm driving home, and I you know, get off to my exit, and I'm waiting at the light, and I see my phone, and I, I look at the Rangers tweeted this thing out, and I, I couldn't read it because it was like a statement that on a picture and, you know, the angle of it and you know, light changes, so then I put on the radio, and, you know, hear you know, Michael Kay's show talking about all this. And I'm like, wow, none of the coaching staff is available. Um, Chris Knobloch uh, is the Hartford Wolfpack head coach. This is going to be the acting head coach. Gord Murphy, the associate coach in Hartford, who was behind the bench for the Rangers during the bubble, is going to coach. And Chris Drury, behind a bench for the first time in, I was trying to think of this, like it would probably be since he, last played for the Rangers, which, if I remember correctly, Mike, was the 11-12 season, so a decade for him. I mean, obviously, you figure camps and um, off-seasons, he's probably around the team. So, yeah, it was very, um, it was very weird, especially based on the fact that the previous game, Rangers without Fox and Buchnevich and Everyone assumed the worst, which is unfortunately a reality of, um, you know, in the time of COVID. Anytime someone's on the list, you just assume the worst because, like, as we saw, um, you know, Capocacco was on, on the COVID protocol and he was sick and he came back. So when we saw Buchnevich and Fox coming back, it's like, great, but no coaching staff, um, yeah, it, it, it was very much a fever dream. I think that is the best way to put it because <laughs> I'm even wondering, like, I, I assume we will learn something at some point, maybe not particulars, but you figure that many people and 
especially people standing behind the bench, um, not always wearing their masks properly, but that's neither here nor there, um, whether that game should have been played last night. But, as we know, it was. And um, I can't remember a game like that in recent memory because, like, obviously you have exciting games. You have comeback games, I think of, and you probably think of, too, the, the comeback versus the... Um, Canadians in Montreal. I think of the comeback versus the Minnesota Wild when Chris Kreider was ejected for boarding um, and Anthony Duclair scores um, the game-winning goal. Um, but 9 nothing, seven goals in one period. Um, that is just something that I don't know when we will see that again. And... Um, you know, I, I thought about it, um, and it's like, man, how much does it suck that it was a limited capacity crowd, for one? And as um, Ryan Mead pointed out, like, man, like, how much did it suck that this couldn't have been an MSG game, you know, with Sam on the call? Because I would imagine he would just flip out, like, on, on what that second period was. Yeah, I, I imagine that Sam would have been giggling himself into oblivion uh, with that insane seven-goal second period. Like, there's so m- much craziness to break down here. Obviously, it's against AV, um, and Knobloch was fired by the Flyers uh, in 2019, in the spring of 2019. And, you know, so you have that whole angle, and then, of course, you have, you know, these teams just played, and the Flyers won an OT, and that was kind of a, a deflating loss. Um, in a lot of ways, because the game before, uh, like you had mentioned, the Rangers had one of their best games of the season, beating Boston four to nothing. Where it was just like, what? What is this? And you know that was without, uh, you know, without the full complement of the team. I think. And then you watch this game, and it gets off to a strong start. And I remember something I was thinking about heading into this game is like, ah man, I really wish Gautier was still in the lineup because he had a gorgeous goal in the OT loss, but he also took, I think, three penalties in that game, in that 5-4 to four OT loss against Philly. And I was like, this game shouldn't be played, and why is Gauthier not in the lineup? And I really hope Georgie has an okay game. And then we get a 2 nothing start to the game, which is really good. And the entire broadcast on you know NBC Sports, all we're hearing about is, ah, the Flyers are their goalie goaltending problems but you know what it's not just goaltending problems it's defensive issues and then Mika Zibanejad ties in an NHL record (laughs) he has a natural hat trick and three assists for a six point second period which like no one in the league needed a bigger game than that like I don't know maybe maybe Taylor Hall but he's injured so um it is just unbelievable that the way that all happened like Mika's goals, like his second goal was such a confident, dirty goal and watching him get it going and watching the reactions on the bench with like Booch and Kreider and, you know, you could tell that was like, remember that when Mika had the goal and uh, Booch did the lifting the monkey off his back? This was that times a million. This was getting like a gorilla off his back. It was just, it was like, oh yeah, Mika's Avenijan's back. And that's what we all just accept as fact now. Of course, you know, it's one game and all that, but... For him to explode the way he did and for the offense to look the way it did, Tom Libor Hayek had a primary assist in this game. <laughs> like, it was... Watching this game unfold, it was 
unbelievable. Uh, I think Libor had the primary assist on the seventh goal on uh, on Hedl's goal. I mean the ninth goal rather. Um, I think Laff had the secondary on that one too. Like it was just the game started with Lemieux scoring off of a gorgeous play by Adam Fox and. You know, that was like, all right, that was a great highlight real goal off an awesome play by Fox. So nice to see him back in the lineup. And then the second period happened. It was unbelievable. There's so much from that. And, like, there, there's a lot of things you can pull from it. It, I found it interesting. Um, so what I think it was last Friday... Um, I did um, podcast with um, Kelly Hinks from from Broad Street. Um, you know they do every so often, like you know checking out the competition and the things that we touched upon for the Rangers. Um, we talked about um, Gorgiev and the goaltending situation and how Keith Kincaid was getting a look because um, you know Igor's hurt and everything. Um, we talked about who. Uh, we who I thought would of people who have not yet scored a goal for the Rangers would get their first goal of the season against the Flyers. I picked Jacob Truba. I was correct in my analysis. And hey. then um, talking about a player who um, isn't getting you know the recognition or love they deserve, and you know lo and behold, uh, I picked Pavel Buchnevich, and Buchnevich proved me right on so many fronts, whether it was the Boston games and and. Uh, you know, against the Flyers. But what you said, I think it's so important, and we can get all excited about this, and obviously they're going to be playing back-to-back against the Capitals, who are one of the better teams in the league and and the division uh, specifically. But sometimes you just need that one moment, and it's that thought process of, okay, I'm really struggling with the, this circumstance or this thing, but I find a way to do it, and then it, it eliminates that that doubt in your mind. And um, I'm meant to go back, and I probably will do it after this podcast. Um, you know, we've done you know recording. Um, Gorgiev makes an amazing save, and to me, oh yeah, that save, that skate save. Yes, he's stretching across, and he just kicks out his leg, and to me, like. It reminded me so many times of, um, it was like a Mike Richter save where he'd be at the top of the crease and he's coming across and it's almost like he's throwing the whole side of his body at the puck. And I think in that moment, like if that puck goes in, it's like, okay, the Flyers get on the board and it's a momentum changer. And like we've seen with Gorgiev that sometimes it's that one goal against or one bad goal, um, and it just can uh, derail him. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. One, because we hear Steve Valaket talk all the time about how great the underlying numbers are, or really, the easy way to say is the analytics, the goaltending analytics are on Gorgiev's east-to-west movement across the crease. Like, his ability to make those cross saves on those cross-size passes, he's one of the best goalies in the league. And, you know, when Steve Aliquette talks about that, you're like, yeah, that's great. But he also did just get pulled from his most recent two games. And, you know, the the discourse heading into this game, you know, for for Rangers fans and especially on Rangers Twitter was like, oh, man, the Rangers really fucked up by not trading Georgiev when they could have. They didn't sell high. 
and now Keith Kincaid is you know creating this goalie controversy for you know uh, you know one B or the backup goaltender and lost in all this is a gem of a game from Georgiev and that save you're mentioning Tom is such a big deal because I'm someone who I've over the past couple of years I've just gotten deeper and deeper into analytics and as much as I love numbers and trying to understand hockey with numbers hockey is chaos it is a game where we try our very best to analyze things and predict things and get an understanding of why things happen but momentum is a real thing in hockey it's weird I'm just like everyone else I roll my eyes there's a great pace to this like I get it but when you think of a save like that and how that could have changed the outlook of a game and then the Rangers just explode offensively it's crazy yeah and I think that there there can be two things that are true at the same time one and I touched upon this a little bit on the story I wrote on Ryan Strom, who I feel is having a really good season. Um, but despite that, it, it's still something very much the Rangers should keep their ear to the ground on, um, you know, ahead of the trade deadline. But with Gorgiev, I think you can believe that the Rangers missed an opportunity to sell high on him. Um, because I think that the Rangers had a, a sense of what Gorgiev could be what Gorgiev was, um, but I think always his role was going to be what it is that they like Igor. Igor is the guy long term, and yes, I understand in today's NHL you want to have two goalies so that you can shoulder the load. Um, obviously, injuries have been a thing this year, but in normal circumstances like Vegas, Mark Andre Fleury, Robin Lehner. The Dallas Stars, Ben Bishop, Anton Kudobin. Um, there's a lot more examples that you can find around the league. And San Jose Sharks, Devin Dubnik, and Martin Jones. Ah, that one doesn't really work. But... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Doesn't, <laughs> doesn't always work, but there was logic. The guy who drafted Carter Hart in two of my fantasy hockey leagues this year, I got to tell you. Uh, nothing. I just needed to mention that I'm depressed about Carter Hart. And uh, it was fun watching him come away with, from that game with like a 770 save percentage after he came in relief. But anyway. That was rough for him. Like an, Carter Hart's was, season has been unbelievable based on what it was projected to be. I think he has like an 880 save percentage this year. So, yeah. That's happening. Yeah, it, it is. And um, to, to bring it back to Zibanejad, because I think... Um, you know all the all the stats you want to look at uh, the fact that you know six points what it did to his you know season totals um the fact that he did Sweet it all within one period um and what stood out to me is and I love obviously all of the post game um availabilities Bucinovic has had this year is he talked he's asked a question about how about the game and have you ever been a part of something like this um, and he's talking about how he's in the, you know, in his career, like back in Russia, like, you know, he was a part of games where this was happening to his team, like giving up a lot of goals. And 
he talks about he thinks the team played well, and he's like, I think Mika played well, and he's like, you know, um, even though, like, you guys, you know, always, like, assume that it's his fault, he's pretty much, you know, taking a shot at people who were, you know, criticizing Zibanejad, sticking up for him, and this is not the first time we've seen something like this, like, Chris Kreider did the same exact thing, um, in yeah, a, uh, Brian's really put his foot down with the media, like, uh, the, the way he said it, he's like, I'm tired of the narrative. Uh, like, you know, I know, you know he said, I've seen it a lot from you guys, meaning the beat writers and everything. He's like, I'm tired of the narrative. That That's what it is with, you know, Mika Zibanejad struggling. And, you know, one of those, it's a leading question where you say, you know, with Mika struggling, how good is it to, to get a goal like this or something like that? And Cried's answered the question. Then he says, yeah, but I, just to say, like, I'm tired of that narrative. So having Booch have a similar interaction where he's just like, yeah. He's doing all the right things, but like looking at, like you had a great, you know, you, I know you had a great tweet about Mika kind of, and Shayna did too about Mika kind of getting back into his rhythm, and it's crazy to think at one point this season he had a stretch of no goals and one assist in a twelve game span, and then he had six points in a period. Tom, <laughs> like. How the hell do we explain that? You know, unlike the NBC broadcast, we heard, you know, he lost like 10 or 15 pounds because of COVID. And, you know, I think you and I are both of the opinion that it probably really messed him up and it's taken some adjustment. But ever since he got that goal, I think it was against the Capitals, that the goal might have been the monkey off the back goal on February 20th. It just seems like he's picking up points. Um, since that since that goal, he hasn't gone uh, three games without picking up a point after all of his struggles this year. So it's just such a relief to see because not only because of what the expectations are for Mika Zibanejad, but because of how important he is. Because you want him to be a part of this this team moving forward, even though there's the question of his contract. But like it. You also, Zibanejad is just an entirely likable hockey player and person. So there's just nothing but good feelings about him having the kind of game he did. Oh yeah, 100%. And if anything, it now is something going into this Capitals game that the team is going to, and the team here meaning the Capitals, that they're going to need to think twice about some things because... Um, you're going to look at a team that just played really well and, like, is this offensive outburst going to happen again? I don't think so. Um, would it surprise me, you know, if, if they have, you know, more confidence and, you know, some good luck? No. But, like, now at this point of the season, um, you know, 28 games in, and, like, you look at the like the leaders uh, on this team. So like Buchnevich, 26 points in 27 games. Panarin, 24 points in 17 games. Strom, 22 and 28. Kreider, 20 and 28. Zibanejad, dragging himself up, 17 and 28. And then Fox, 16 and 27. Um, and then from there to drop off to, to Colin Blackwell at 10 points in, in 19 games. Um, the top players are producing. And yeah... You want to see Capocacco having more than four points in 21 games. But as we all know, the underlying numbers, night and day from last year. Um, he's making plays happen. He is having a little bit of a Tally Krasov syndrome um, 
where he's doing these amazing things one-on-one. He's getting the puck to an opponent, and they just can't finish it. So I'm not too concerned there. Like, we talked about this last time. Same thing with, um, like, Lafreniere, where, yeah, eight points in 28 games, but who really gives a shit? Like, he's a 19-year-old kid who started off slow because he went like six months without playing a competitive game and he said as much like i'm not losing sleep over that um there's a lot to like here there's a lot to like teams playing with confidence yeah are they going to make the playoffs probably not by virtue of how how far they're back (laughs) right but you have a team that's playing for something you have a team that is is trying to put the puzzle pieces together to say like okay when we're going to be contending for a Stanley Cup, like, we have, you know, some good things going for us. Um, and all of this is to say that they're going to potentially get Shesterkin back, not for um, tomorrow's game for, versus the Capitals, but potentially Saturday. Um, Vitaly Kravtsov's going to be available soon. That's going to throw a monkey wrench into things just because of how you're going to figure um, ice time. Um, for all of these players, and you're going to have a lot of talented players and not enough roster spots for them. Um, but, like, I I think that given the weirdness of this year, there's a lot of things you like. There's a lot of things that you've learned. Um, yeah, I get it. It can be frustrating that there was this idea of what some of the rookies were going to be or some of the young players were going to be, but, um, you know, it's weird at times, and I don't know. I just think you have a 9 nothing win. It's just a big morale boost for the fans, and it's like, yeah, it's against the Flyers, yeah, it's against Elaine Vigneault, um, but you just take these moments and you enjoy them and you, th- you look back on them. Like, I know, like, when we, if you want to think as far back as the year they went to the cup final and the year they won the president's trophy, it felt like every game was just awesome and they rarely lost. Um, So in a year like this, where it's up and down, up and down, you know, sort of helter skelter, you just take this win. Yeah. It's one game. Yeah. It's unlikely to happen again, but you enjoy it. Yeah. I think you have to enjoy it. And you know, Putting everything in context, that win made the Rangers 12-12-4, which makes them a, you know, a 500 hockey team. And they're third from last in the Mass Mutual East uh, division, Tom. Um, but there's the context here is important. Like, what were the expectations this year? You know, what what is this what does this team had to go through with, you know, the prolonged absence of Panarin? You know, Shesterkin injury... Uh, you know, haven't necessarily had the best of luck with, with COVID in terms of, you know, guys being in and out of the lineup. And, you know, you also have Zibanejad start and everything else. Like, you can group that into the best, not having great luck with COVID with the results for Mika prior to, to this last game. And I don't know, This there's a lot of learning going on, I think. And, like, kind of lost in the shuffle of everything with the 9 nothing victory is Laugh getting a point, which is his first point in a bunch of games after he had a, you know, a stretch there where he had picked up, you know, he had like five points in five games, kind of a stretch. And a lot of people were like, Hey, something's clicking here. And then, you know, he goes three or four games, I think without scoring. And then he gets an assist here to kind of get back in the board. And I don't know, Capo Caco hits a, a post in, in that game too. And 
little things where you're like, all right, it's coming together. Um, you know, and a lot of things that I think are peripherally interesting, like, oh yeah, Tamara Einen gets called up. He has primary assists in his NHL debut. Um, and then, you know, Brett Howden is a healthy scratch. And you start to get this sense of like, all right, maybe things are... Maybe, Tom, maybe things are getting better. Um, or at least going in a direction that's a little more in what you think is getting this team closer to building. Um, because you want to see these little things click when... Like, you have to look for these little promising signs when you're a 500 or sub-500 hockey team. And I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I don't know, Tom. Anders Lee, he's out long-term. You never know. Anyway, we have to do an ad break. So this is my sloppy transition to an ad break. Just and we're like back. that. Yeah, yeah. we're back. I'm bad at ad breaks. Tom is better at them. I mean, I don't think we really need to keep score on this podcast. It's just us. I'm I think I'm in some ways it's five to two. Well, three goal lead is the worst in hockey, so you never know. Um so wanted to couple, talk about a couple other things. Um one it'll be cool to have Vitaly Krasov soon. Like I know that we just mentioned, um, you know, it briefly in there, but, um, KHL team was eliminated. He's come over to the United States quarantining and he should be ready soon. And that's going to be so fun. It is going to be fun. I wanted to add one quick thing, which is we've had three games of, uh, Panarin back and, uh, in three games, he has six points. And I mentioned this in, in the banter slack, during the game last night, I was like, "What was life like before Artemi Panarin uh, for the Rangers?" I don't, I don't really know, but it's a, it's a fun little thing to mention because also, it, in, in an interesting way, it segues to Kravstov, who had a really strong year in the KHL. His team was eliminated, and like you mentioned, we're now on Kravstov watch. He's doing the, the quarantine thing, and a lot of people think he's, essentially, he's the Rangers, like addition in terms of any trades this team might make is you have Kravstov coming in and it was interesting hearing the NBC broadcast talk about how the Rangers aren't really expected to do very much at the deadline and that's generally what we feel even though there's the ongoing mystery of what the Rangers will do with with D'Angelo and you know there's just there's been no developments there um, for weeks and weeks now so Looking at the roster now, and you know, you wrote a great story recently about Strom and his potential future with the team, and how he's done himself and really the Rangers a, a good service by continuing to keep his trade value nice and high by producing without Panarin, he's producing with Kreider, which was big to see. And you know, when Strom when Strom became a Ranger, when I was looking at his underlying numbers, I was like, you know what, he's a good playmaker. He makes good passes. There's just other parts of his game that aren't very strong. And what we've seen as Strom, because since he's been a Ranger, is you put him with the right guys, 
he'll make plays. It's just a question of how much of his value is buoyed or inflated by the players around him. And I think seeing him still produce when Panarin was out of the lineup was a really big deal um, and a promising thing in terms of what his perceived value will be and also what his true value to the Rangers is. But uh, it's been definitely been an interesting time to look at what this roster will look like. And just like you, I just want to see Vitaly Kravstov get a chance in the NHL. And am I aware that the Rangers have this logjam of forwards? Yeah. But I don't think we need to see Phil DiGiuseppe or, or Brett Howden or, or, you know, Brendan Lemieux in the lineup every night. I would like to see some kids who have a chance to be a part of this team long term. I prefer seeing them in there. Yeah, and I would say the one um, unfortunate downside of, of Kravtsov is that it it becomes one uh, one more piece of competition for Gautier to overcome. And, yeah, um, that's a good point. It, it's just like, it's an embarrassment of riches on the wings, and um, it's it's fun to, to, once we see the the team as it can be, um, like I, I think of this also in, in the context of, you know, it's it's going to be incredible when you have Adam Fox, Nils Lundqvist, Jacob Truba as a right side. Um, that'll be pretty impressive. But um, yeah, and I think the deadline thing was somewhat interesting because I think that Brendan Smith is someone who could go. Um, there's a number of options that they could consider like if they're looking to do some business ahead of expansion because you only have so many people you can protect and maybe there's business to be made of a team that can't protect someone and the Rangers will take them and I don't know it's it's going to be weird because of the quarantine and obviously um you know going between the border but who knows yeah I feel like there will be Rangers trades at the deadline um I think uh I forget if it was if it was Uncle Bob or someone else mentioning like the Rangers would look at something like a hockey trade. They're not looking at like a like, you know, just moving pieces around essentially to address one need for another, but a lot of trades on terms of like the periphery of the roster are like a guy like Brendan Smith or something like that. And there's the point you bring up with expansions important because a lot of teams need to do a lot of positioning and they need to make sure they don't get absolutely screwed uh, in terms of what happens with the expansion draft. The Rangers are in an interesting position because they have so many ELCs on the team. So they're a team that has to kind of keep a couple things in mind, and they also have to think of things like, you know, games played and all that stuff. But I I look at this roster and I say to myself, like, what value does, you know, do some of these guys have that are just, you know, obviously not going to be here long term and are on expiring contracts or what have you, and I just don't expect us to see a big deal um, unless, you know, there's the the potential the Rangers have a lot of the younger guys and assets to land a big deal to bring in another franchise caliber player. But I don't think we've seen enough smoke for that to come to fruition. And that includes Eichel at this stage. Um, and now Eichel's hurt. So there's also that. Eichel's hurt. Kruger's gone. Dan Girardi is an assistant coach. We almost yeah, forgot Dan that. Yeah, Dan Girardi and Chris Drury were both assistant coaches within a couple of days of each other. I was even thinking all these, like the past few seasons, all we've been thinking is Chris Drury is going to go to another team to be a GM. 
and who would have like how much money would you you would have won in Vegas if Jury is an assistant coach for the Rangers before he's a GM of another team? But that's that's what this year has given us. Tom is just utter bananas and shenanigans. Yeah, it has been and um, bananas. Yeah, who who would have thought it? Um, the last note I wanted to mention. Um, when the Rangers, you know, obviously they were on a bit of a, a road trip. They came back to Madison Square Garden. They had uh, two, you know, memoriams and you know, moments of silence or moments of remembrance, rather. Um, one for, you know, Walter Gretzky, obviously the father of, of Wayne Gretzky, um, who, you know, was with the Rangers, you know, for three seasons. And then Mark Pavlich. Um, Mark Pavlich was a member of the Miracle on Ice team. Uh, he was a member of the Rangers uh, for a couple of seasons, and he had a, a couple. He had a really couple of good seasons. Like so, he debuts with the Rangers in 81-82, 76 points. Follows it up with 75 points, then 82 points, then 45 points in 48 games. Um, you know, eventually makes his way to the North Stars, and he ends his career. Um, you know, after some time away from the NHL with the San Jose Sharks. Um, a sad story for Pavlich. Um, the later parts of his, his life, he was in the news, you know, for various reasons. Um, and it's been, you know, suggested that he was someone who suffered from, from CTE as he had noticeable behavioral changes, you know, in the end, ending years of his life. And, um, it's just a really sad story because, and it was notable because when, you know, it was announced that he had passed away, um, there was a story in the New York Post how Barry Beck, um, you know, he wrote this, you know, this, this thing on Facebook, how he was sort of, you know, criticizing, um, you know, the Rangers in some respects of having forgotten about him. And I think it's of note because the Rangers have had this somewhat weird relationship at times with alumni. Um, like, I think one example is like, how long did it take them to retire Jean Rattel's number? Um, you know, the, there was like a strained relationship there that they, they ultimately repaired. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, Saw it talked about a couple of places, you know, Mark Pavlik had passed, but, you know, just a, uh, you know, underrated player, um, you know, almost a point per game in his career, 355 games, obviously part of the miracle on ice, um, but it's uh, a really sad story and just something that it's, it's another example of, of what can happen when you play this game and, um, you know, it's be in your 60s and pass away, like, it's, it's still way too young. Yeah, it is. Mark's story is really sad. You think of a guy who, you know, the role he played in specifically, you know, U.S. hockey history um, and also, you know, in many ways, American history because of the significance of the Miracle on Ice uh, victory and looking at, you know, the Cohen headline and his time with the Rangers, he was very beloved when he was here. And, you know, I think there is something to be said about how not just organizations like the Rangers, but also the league in general treats players after they hang up their skates uh you know from what we understand i don't want to speak out of turn here but it's pretty clear from the comments made by the pavlich family that he was going through a lot of mental health issues uh to the point where you know during a fishing trip with his neighbor uh you know he beat his neighbor nearly to death with a lead pipe because he thought his neighbor had spiked his beer um but mark was under the impression that he 
you know, didn't have mental health issues, uh, but he was found, you know, to be not fully guilty of, you know, violent assault charges because of his mental state. And then you have him die in a, you know, a mental health facility at a very young age. And you think about a guy like him who was undersized and getting banged around in a, in a period where not everyone wore a helmet all the time. And, you know, in it, obviously a period of the game that was pretty rough and tumble. And you realize like even with everything going on with COVID and, you know, oh, there's a new, you know, the ESPN deal and all these things and, you know, the, the crazy season that is and hockey, yada, 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 flat cap, bop, 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 all these things. We still, the NHL still doesn't have enough to show for addressing concussions and CTE. And I think we can never forget to afford that. You know, we we also need to, you know, when we think about how we want to see these organizations in the league be held accountable for things like diversity and, or a lack thereof, and making a strong stand against things like homophobia and racism and sexism and all these things, there's a long, long history of players being underserved and the league and owners not demonstrating nearly enough care for players and their well-being playing what is ultimately an incredibly violent game that is filled with peril and danger to players. And it's scary when we, we hear these stories, like these stories we have with Mark Pavlik, and um, I hope we see them less and less, but um, we can't afford to stop talking about them. And obviously we wish nothing, you know, send nothing but our best to his family in a very difficult time. And, you know, the Rangers Alumni Association, I, you know, I hope we see less posts like the post that Barry Beck, you know, former captain of this team. I know he and JD reportedly had, you know, had a private conversation, uh, according to the post. And, you know, I hope that more bridges get mended with JD, um, at the helm because I have confidence that John Davidson's the sort of person who would make that effort uh, from from you know the persona he he has and the reputation he has. So I hope that's what we see happen because it's very sad when we see those stories and obviously it stings a little extra when it's the Rangers and it's an organization all of our lifetime we've been told first class, first class, first class. That's what the Rangers are. They do things right. They handle things the right way. Bop, bop, bop. And then we have something like this, and you say, well, maybe something like this wasn't handled very first class. Maybe the Rangers and the NHL should have been doing a lot more for Mark Pavlich. Agreed 100%. Um, it's a very sad situation, and obviously, um, you know, hopefully things can get better long-term in terms of how teams and in, in the league address this but um, it, it's certainly something worth worth mentioning um, one brief thing I wanted to also touch upon um, not not long because we've talked about this before um, and then we'll get to our patrons um, I thought it was telling and not all surprising um, pretty much the lack of support that guard Miller got and it, it was for those who aren't aware like he was he does this from time to time like one of the things Gordon for those who aren't familiar Gordon Miller is a broadcaster um, play-by-play guy for TSN he's also done some work for NBC he's most known for his stuff um, at World Juniors and 
um, from time to time when he's traveling or he's killing time, he'll do, like, Q&As. And it was a really innocuous thing, like, you know, someone asked him a question, like, hey, you know, um, when are you ever going to go on, on Spit and Chicklets? And, like, his response was pretty tame, like, at first, like, hey, you know, I, I just don't want to have, you know, anything to do with, with, with Barstool Sports. Like, you know, he's got nothing wrong with, you know, Ryan Whitney or, you know, Paul Bissonnette, etc. But he that's just a no-go for him. And, like, from there, it, it just took a turn in expected fashion. Like, you know, he was very thorough in why he felt the way that he did, provided examples of, you know, certain behaviors. And we, we've gone through it numerous times. We, we went in this in depth when we were talking about the whole, um, you know, NWHL situation and, you know, people that both you and I know are friendly with fun. that were, oh yeah, it's real fun shit. And, you well, know, for the record, I endured a little bit of harassment as a result of that for sticking up for my colleagues and peers. And, uh, it's funny. I mentioned recently, like, hey, if you have any questions about stats for the women's hockey community, like my DMs are open and someone pointed out to me, Mike, your DMs aren't open. And I realized, oh, yeah, I had to close them because I had gotten half a dozen very mean DMs <laughs> because, uh, you know, being called a snowflake and all those wonderful things. But, yeah, it, it, Gord's comments were very welcome. We need to see more of it. I think, like, I listen, I get it. I understand that Barstool is popular. I also think you're at, you're really, I'm, I'm trying to find a nice way to say this. I think you need to address, if you're a fan of them, you need to address and come to terms with why people view them as problematic. Are this many people wrong? Are this many people wrong to feel uncomfortable with Barstool's messaging and, you know, the way they approach things and sexism and all these other things? I don't know. Um, I know that I need a job in this industry really bad, Tom. I wouldn't work for Barstool. Uh, that's just that's just me that just you know I know I'm not alone I'm sure I know like like me you you would be dying to have a full-time job doing what we do and I'm sure you also wouldn't want to work for Barstool because uh, it just doesn't align with what I think is the right way to do things and the right way to treat people and uh, yeah I don't know it's it's a big shitty mess and it Barstool I is I don't think it's going anywhere, but I was very, I was relieved to see Gord make the, the stance that he did. And I was relieved that so many people said thank you to him. Um, because I think we need to be, when someone with the platform that Gord has makes a, a stand like that, and he did it, and like you said, he did it in a really kind of polite way. He did it in a, in a non-dramatic way, just like, you yeah, have nothing against those guys, but anything with Barstool, how did you phrase it, Tom? Is like a no-go for me? Is that what he said? Right, and like, yeah. what I what I think was good about what he did, and I think it's important at times because obviously, people will, like, when we've talked about this, obviously there's a lot of examples that you can cite. But I like. I want to believe at times that there are people who will be associated with something, and they may not know the fuller story. So, by him giving examples and and you know citing sources and obviously what happened, you know, and subsequently more so when his 
you know his daughter um said her 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 thing and she was sort of defending his you know his um you know his morals and why he did what he did and you just go through her replies and it's just like okay yeah this is exactly everything you know why they said what they said um you have an opportunity to say hey this is why I feel this way about something and you may genuinely come across a person or two who says wow I really did not know that and now that I know this I'm not going to you know associate with them and like I think that the important thing here is that it's not just one incident or two or three there's multiple incidents and it's been well documented and you know people try to spin it people try to deny it people try to deflect um, and it is only emboldened when you have, you know, people who will, you know, frequent their, you know, their programming. And um, I thought it was very interesting that, I'm, like, I'm not going to, like, you know, name everyone, but there are colleagues of Gord's who have been on their programs and, like, they're not defending him or his daughter. And I think that's wrong. Now... I think people have a right to change. I think people have a right to um, change their opinions or actions when new information is presented to them. But at the end of the day, like it, ultimately with like any anything that comes up, it's just a lot of people telling on themselves. And sometimes you don't need to, to do anything or say anything. People will just, on their own volition, prove your point for you. Um, and like I said, I don't want to belabor the point we've talked about this before i thought it was relevant to bring up you know i didn't want to spring this on mike at all um but like it, it's just something that bothered me and like i tried to give people time to do so um but when it was very few and people it was just disheartening so yeah um kudos to gord miller um for speaking his piece doing it in a way that was pretty much taking um you know what a potential argument would be and breaking it down one by one and saying, well, this is what you might say. Well, here's this. Um, so yeah, kudos to Gord Miller. Um, and kudos to, um, all of our patron supporters. Uh, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast, even though, um, you know, it's been a weird year. There's been, you know, some times where we've not been able to, uh, do a show. We really appreciate your support. We understand that in the time of COVID stuff happens and, you know, life has been altered, and we 100% get that. Um, but, you know, thank you to our supporters, The Six Foot Gap, Adam Clendenning, Adam Nahoek, Ian Gaspar, Amriel Kistner, Andre Shikagov, Andy White, Bjarne Osterheim, Captain America, Chris Marco Trigiano, Clark Carroll, Daniel Dezen, Frank Benino, Jamie Bustle, Jason Silverman, Jeff Owen, Jermaine Francis, John Predzapelski, John Reppy, Joran Sassone, Justin Walsh, Keith, Kevin Mead, Kush Tastic, Kyle Napolitano, Matt Bader, Matthias Olson, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Hoffman, Panarin2020, Patrick Landolt, Pear Juice, uh, Perennial Powerhouse, Sean, Steve Bellback, Tall Guy Rob, The Tin Man, Tory from Manhattan, and Trevor Kempner. Um, thank you, as always, everyone, for listening. Um, we appreciate your support. Uh, Mike, as always, I appreciate you. Um, you know, I hope um, appreciate everyone... appreciate you too, Tommy. Thank you. Um, 
I hope everyone continues to stay safe. Um, you know, although this is uh, you know, it's a hockey podcast, obviously it's uh, you know, we touch on on other topics as well. And um, you know, I, I just wanted to um, you know, offer my thoughts and support. Um, you know, the Asian American and Pacific Islander community. Obviously, this week there was a a, a tragic, yet another, and that's just a. The circumstance of, of being in America, mass shooting um, in Atlanta, um, you know, support to them. You know, there's a lot of different places you can donate money to uh, support the community. Um, you know, I've shared a few on Twitter. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just important, you know, that we are looking out for each other. Uh, those who are prejudiced against those who are um, targeted and uh, unfortunately we live in a time where we see this a lot um, but you know uh, just offer my, my thoughts to them and obviously uh, anyone you know um, you know who's who's impacted by this be good to each other don't be a piece of shit and we want 10 we want 10 time I want 10 goals that is actually I, I wanted to fit that in there um, at a at some point, but that's probably going to be the name of this episode. Uh, we want 10. I do want 10. I, after the second period, I said to myself, uh, double digits or this was a loss. But then I said to myself, you know what? Nine and nothing's pretty good. Georgie needed a good game. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take nine and nothing most days. And on that note, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we will talk to you again soon. Be well. Bye-bye.